you ever wondered about a career as a veterinary technician? Can you differentiate between CVT, LVT, RVT, or even EDT? We'll dig into this and so much more with today's guest, who has traveled from the United States to the Middle East as a veterinary technician and now works as a territory manager for Merck Animal Health. Let's grow, girl. Welcome to The Thriving Equine Professional, the podcast to grow you. Are you wondering how to make connections to build your career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck where you are. Hey, I'm Jody. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health, but I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. quick reminders, Thrivers, before we get started today. The first is don't miss out on Next Gen Equine Vet Med. There are five events happening between February and April this spring 2024. And so you can head over to my website or connect with me on LinkedIn in order to see those details. The second is my 2024 speaking calendar continues to book. And if you are interested in booking me as a speaker, trainer, or facilitator, please reach out to me via my website, my email, or on LinkedIn. You can find me at Jody Lynch Findlay on LinkedIn or on my website, jodyspeakslife.com. With that, let's get on with the show. Welcome back, Thrivers. What an exciting day it is today. It is still kind of Happy New Year as we move through January, and we have our very first guest of 2024. And Amanda Compton, I always like to start our episodes by explaining our connection. That's been my favorite piece of this as, as we connect with so many thriving equine professionals as you are. I am excited to help you tell your story and inspire others because I know that it will. But Amanda, you and I, as so many of my guests over this past year, met on LinkedIn, essentially, right? So we connected first on LinkedIn and one of us reached out to the other and we discovered we had all of these mutual connections. So you know, I always give that shout out to LinkedIn and the rest has been history. And then you and I got to connect last month at AAEP and in, in San Diego. And so tell us, Amanda, your side of that connection and how you got here. 
Well, I'm always looking to expand my knowledge and my network. And I saw your podcast on LinkedIn. I listened to it and I was like, I've got to, I've got to speak to this person. Like she has a wealth of knowledge and experience. And then we had that first conversation, which I'm sure was well over an hour. And we discovered we had all these similar experiences in life from, you know, working in the industry having horses, you know, even living in Maryland at one point in our lives. So I was just so excited to connect with you. And I've been a follower of your podcast and you've had some guests on there, people I know and admire. So um, I'm very, very humbled to, to be the first guest of, of your new year on your podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to have you, Amanda. And so let's jump into this because we know there are so many young people out there who are exploring careers, have a passion for equine, don't know the jobs that are out here and the roles that you can earn. And you have a multitude of letters behind your name. And so I want you to break that down for us. And we'll kind of start there, if you will, and explain CVT, LVT, RVT and EDT. So I'll run through those acronyms very quickly. And then I'll ask you um, to bring us up to speed on what, what all those letters are. Absolutely. So like many horse lovers, I think it started when, you know, you're a young girl and you're, you're crazy about horses and animals and everyone tells you, you need to be a veterinarian, right? Go, you need to go to vet school. And that was the path that, that I thought I was going to take. And, and I'll talk later why I didn't take that path. But you know, I, I started working with horses. I actually started working at a Shire horse farm back after I graduated college. And I gravitated towards the medical side. And of course, I had people saying, you should go to vet tech school. So I actually went back to vet tech school after already having a, an associate's and bachelor's in animal science. And I got my degree as um, veterinary technician. And I'm actually licensed in three states, Virginia as a licensed veterinary technician, West Virginia as a registered veterinary technician, and now Pennsylvania as a certified veterinary technician. And, and what that means is basically I'm credentialed with a board of veterinary medicine. I, I wish that all the designations were the same across the country, but they're not. <laughs> Every state has their own designation. And then the EDT, which a lot of people might not be aware of, that is an equine dental technician, and I'm actually registered with the Board of Veterinary Medicine in Virginia. And so that was an added sort of bonus for me because I, I wanted to be legal. I wanted to be licensed. And there are about a half a dozen states across the U.S. that actually license equine dental technicians. So to my knowledge, I'm still the only one in the state of Virginia with both credentials. And there are sort of two rule books to follow, um, depending on what I'm doing, you know, that day, but that that's what all those letters mean. You know, I have a bachelor of science, but, but basically it, it boils down to experience, you know, um, to me, I could have just, you know, one designation and still be the same person. <laughs> Right. And that is so important, Amanda. And we have so many young people who have an interest in veterinary technicians. Yes. And so understanding it, because I do think that to a certain extent, we have complicated this a little bit. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. Right. So to your point, three different states, three different credentials that essentially mean almost the same thing. You are a veterinary technician. 
a very accomplished and successful veterinary technician that has had tremendous experiences throughout your career. And so what we want to share with our listeners is being involved in the industry and having what I might call having your pulse on those conversations, you're contributing to the growth of credentialing and certifications. And I know you're involved, not only now we'll get to your role with Merck Animal Health, but you are involved in the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians. And so you're a part of this conversation from multiple aspects. And I think that's really important to share with our listeners, because that's what we want to encourage, that While it may be a little bit confusing, uh, it it is still something that is achievable and so fulfilling and rewarding. I I see what you do and the conversations you have and the passion that you share. So that, to me, is the important part that our listeners understand. These roles are out here and they're available and there are people that can help you navigate and understand. Absolutely. And it is confusing whether, you know, most people say veterinary technician, they might mean veterinary assistant, which is a person who isn't licensed with the Board of Vet Met. It doesn't devalue their knowledge or their experience, but I, I would love to see the profession move forward where we are elevated as veterinary professionals just under the doctor, that we have the schooling, we have the testing done, we have the credentialing and the licensure done. So that's why being a credentialed or licensed veterinary technician is so important important to me. And even though technically I was a veterinary assistant before I I went back to school for my third degree, getting that veterinary technician degree opened up so many doors for me. And there are so many paths you can take once you have that degree. And and I've, I spoke to a a practice um, recently, the practice owner of the veterinarian had me come out to talk to her to be technicians. These are people that have started the program or not finished it or finished it and not taken their veterinary technician national exam. And they're like, well, we don't see the value in that. You know, we don't make that much money. And, and I tell them, I said, my example is when I became licensed, I was working at a university. I was a now a licensed veterinary technician. I had been an assistant. My job, my roles were still the same. And I made $1 more an hour when I got licensed. Now that doesn't, that's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> but fast forward, that was the short term payoff, you know, that, that it, it, I'm probably still paying that back. <laughs> but, but what that did getting that degree opened up so many doors. I wouldn't have been offered a job in the Middle East. I wouldn't have worked for boarded, you know, a veterinary surgeon. I wouldn't be doing anesthesia. Um, I would um, develop the skill set that I developed after I became credentialed, especially in, in companion animal, which I, I dabbled in. So I think there is value. When you look at it, you might not see that it's going to change your role in the position you're currently in, but you need to look down the road five, 10, 15 years down the road, is this going to bring me value in a different position or, or a different role? And again, learning some of the things I already knew, but it really reconfirmed the things I were doing were correct. And again, working at the university, you ha- everything has to be to gold standard. So it reconfirmed those things, but it, it wasn't just the clinical, it was dealing with the business aspect. So I found tremendous value in going back and getting that degree and spending that money initially. So it's paid for itself 
a few times over now. <laughs> yes. Amen. And I love your breakdown and explanation. I knew that you could kind of provide that because I, like you have heard that same comment. I don't see the value. And, you know, there, there are multiple ways to look at that where we don't see the value today, but let's really look at growth. Let's look at our opportunity that we don't know what doors may open tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year. So I, uh, I just, Love that explanation. So you mentioned a couple things, your time at the university. So let's start there before you tell us about being in the Middle East, which you also mentioned. So take us through kind of the, the beginning of your journey. Oh, absolutely. So I started out again, like I said, working on a horse farm and doing the day-to-day. -day. We had 50 shires to look after, which is like having a hundred horses because they're twice the size. And I gravitated towards the all the breeding and the, the veterinary aspect. And so when I left that position, because I knew that that wasn't the, the path I wanted to take. I didn't want to be a horse trainer. And so I started, I applied and got a, a role as a veterinary nurse at Virginia Tech's Marion DuPont Scott Equine Medical Center in Leesburg, Virginia. And I spent 11 years there. And I was, I mean, that time period was so golden to me because I worked with so many internists and surgeons and other technicians, licensed and unlicensed that had so much experience and the wealth I gained from that it certainly was more than the hourly wage I received. <laughs> so I love that job. Um, and I'm still in connection with a lot of the people that work there. So it's nice to have that network. And I really started building up my network without even knowing it. I didn't start out like, oh, I need to meet this person. I need to connect with that person. It just, it came easy working with all those people in that environment and, and having that passion for taking the best care of a horse and providing it. I just, I, I still love what I learned there, you know, being able to provide that nursing care and, and how important that role is. Those doctors can't function in that hospital without their technicians and assistants. Anywhere, anywhere, you know, like it is the most important role. And, um, and so those, those of you that are, you, you have heard this from me before already, Amanda, but those of you that serve as veterinary technicians, you are my heroes. I just truly believe that uh, it's just such a critical role. And I want to help you and the industry be a part of elevating that role, certainly, because we all see it. We see the need, we see the importance and the value and the relevance. So, uh, so yes, I, I am all in on sharing just how important that is and, and the opportunity that we have really with the entire industry to continue uh, growing and elevating the vet tech. Well, then you were there for 11 years and you made a big move. I did. You know, I, I truly believe that if you're presented with an opportunity and you don't take it, it may not be there again. And, and you know, your life is going to be the same as it was yesterday. So um, I had a couple things happen in life that helped, you know, encourage me. I, I, I got divorced. <laughs> um, I'd lost both of my parents and I didn't have the responsibility, you know, of, of needing to stay where I was. And to be honest, I had reached a plateau in my career where I was doing the, a lot of things day in, day out, but they were repetitive. And I didn't feel that I was growing any longer. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention it as a side note, you know, I, I did have this equine dental business working with a variety of vets in a, in a region and they would, you know, have me come out and we would work together on horses. But I, I was really deterred by the, the politics involved with that because I'd been doing 
it differently than the lay dentist. I've been working with vets, but I wasn't, I didn't feel I was making the progress I wanted to make. And so I saw an ad um, shared by the AAVT on social media about um, a veterinary equine veterinary nursing position that was opened, a new hospital that was being built in Doha, Qatar, which is in the Middle East. And I thought, Apply, you know, I put a resume together and I, I kind of jokingly said, who knows, maybe they'll fly me over for an interview. And sure enough, a couple months later, they did. <laughs> Dr. Mats Trodson was the director and he was instrumental in getting that um, started and completed and open. And he's at the University of Kentucky's um, Gluck, you know, research center. And so I am forever indebted to him for taking that, that leap and, and starting that that hospital, but then hiring its first veterinary nurse, which was me. So I had that honor, but it was a tremendous and phenomenal experience. You know, I, I had expectations that it, and we all had expectations. It was going to be bigger and better than where I was at the university. And unfortunately I didn't understand the challenges of just even procurement of items and drugs and supplies in the Middle East. So moving over there, it was a big step, but I thought, well, if I don't like it, I'll, I'll come home. So I ended up staying almost two years, but I, I was there as a veterinary nurse. I was there as the only veterinary nurse for five months and we weren't officially open, but we started seeing cases. And then a couple other nurses, LVTs, CVTs were hired from the US and Canada. And um, we, we got it up and, and running and it was challenging. The most challenging thing about being there was the severity of cases that came in. It, it wasn't the culture. The culture it was the safest place I've ever been in the world. And it it's really hard to describe, but it it the people are so wonderful and so nice. And there's so much opportunity, but it's also everybody is there to work and try to make their own lives better. So 85% of the country are full of expats, people there to work. It's a very small portion of the country that are actually nationals. So the diversity was just, I soaked it all in, seeing the cases, taking my knowledge that I've learned at the EMC and how to do things and, and bringing it there and helping the team who, you know, hadn't had that experience, including the surgeons and the internists, you know, they're like, oh, you have to do a CRI, you know, on Lido. How do we do that? And I knew how to do that. So it was just a phenomenal experience. It, it was challenging and it was difficult and it was stressful. And there were days I cried and, and I'll also admit, I think it's great to talk about these things. I suffered compassion fatigue and burnout in the end, which is one of the reasons I, I ended up coming home, but it was all the things, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Amanda, I love that you share it in, you know, both the high and the low, the mountaintop and the valley, because that is so important. And we're having many more of those conversations today. Again, it goes back to one of my absolute foundational pillars of the human connection. But what you share also reminds me to remind our listeners, we can do anything for a minimum of a year, but I will always say two years. We can go anywhere, live anywhere, do anything, be a part of something for two years, because I can almost promise every one of you that are listening that if it is hard, it will, in hindsight, become one of the most impactful, life-changing periods and seasons of your life that you could possibly imagine. And even though it's hard when you're in it and you've made tough choices and you're crying some, and then, you know, ultimately we, we don't want anyone to suffer from burnout or compassion fatigue, but there are points of our lives that we are meant to learn and that's just it, right? 
And we will also come out oftentimes with some of the most impactful relationships and connections that we can imagine that we never would have been privy to otherwise. Yeah. And I, I think that was one of the best parts. I mean, for me, I got to see all the beautiful Arabian horses, which I've had Arabian horses since I was a kid. So that was wonderful. But but the second best part was the connections and the people that I met. I met people from, and I'm still, you know, in contact with Australia, Brazil, Europe, you know, and then I met people there that knew people I knew here. And we were all there with the same purpose, which, which well, actually was twofold to improve our quality of life. You know, um, it is a, a lucrative, it was a lucrative endeavor and also to provide the best care that we can at that time for the horses, our patients. So we, we all, the horses brought us together and I was so excited at AEP. There were half a dozen, half a dozen of us in San Diego who had been and worked at the EVMC in Doha, Qatar. So we all got together for a photo and we all had the same experience, even if we were there at different times. Yeah, that and that's incredible. I saw that photo when you shared it. And I was lucky enough even to be on the receiving end of one of your connections. And I think ultimately, right, um, we won't spoil it, but there'll be another guest that I was introduced to you are from you. And again, she has, you know, a great story as well. And we want to share those stories, but those connections are everything. And just personally and professionally, that is priceless. Amen for that. Now, so you mentioned, I, I want to bring this up now. You have three pieces of advice for us today, but I just heard something in the conversation as you shared it. And one of your pieces of advice is don't lose sight of your empathy for people as well as the horses. So I just heard that coming out. So I'm going to go ahead and, and bring that one up to our listeners. Tell us more about why your advice today is don't lose sight of your empathy. I, I think this is so important. It is is to me, definitely, because in a time period where we are short-staffed across the board in vet med, um, where burnout and fatigue and, and suicide are real things in this profession, and now we're talking about it, if we lose sight of our empathy for people, it, it's just, I, I think that, that that's the greatest loss. I think all of us get into the, the horse industry and especially vet med because we are caregivers and we want to provide relief to our patients, but our every single patient we have is attached to a human being. We would not have our industry without the people in our, in our world. And every owner, whether you know, whether you like them or not, they're there for a reason. If they brought their their horse to you, they're there because they have a concern. And I think we get caught up in our own personal feelings and our own emotions so much that we lose sight of that empathy. And 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 I don't mean that you have to go to the point of burnout. I mean, no one should should go that far. There are times where you have to set those boundaries and you have to realize I have no more to give unless I recharge myself. But some of what I've seen in the industry more recently is is people just automatically kind of putting this hard no down and and forgetting about that empathy, even just in their communication with the clients. Um, and I get it, you know, we get tired and we get frustrated and and we end up taking it out on the people we talk to most. <laughs> but we can't lose sight of there's every horse has an owner attached to that lead rope, every single one. And and without those owners, we don't have a career. We don't have an industry. I love that. I wrote that down. This is going to be quoted 
time and again, every single patient we have is attached to a person. So um, there's there's some of our takeaway wisdom for today. And that speaks to me, of course, because you know, for me, it is really coming back to the human connection. And it is so not easy, but it comes easy to us to focus on our, our clinical skills, our academic skills, and our technical skills. And we are at a point in time where I feel like the missing piece, the missing piece to our success, our fulfillment, our empowerment, whatever you want to call it, is the human connection. And we have to, it, it's not coming as easily as it did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We have to rediscover the reason behind the human connection, and to your point, the empathy of the human connection and the importance of that. So, oh my gosh, just so well said, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Speaks to me. It just speaks to my soul. And, and I mean that the empathy for people wanting to learn to the empathy for the person who can't pay for the procedure you you think their, their horse needs. You know, you, you have to empathy for, for everybody, everybody in, in their roles. I, I just think it's extremely important. So thank you for, for sharing that and, and letting me share it. Yes, absolutely. Now you have the, the next piece of advice. You have three pieces of advice for our listeners today. You have strive for success and not perfection. And again, I this is worth repeating. I think we could put it on billboards across the country, right? Strive for success and not perfection. Explain that for our listeners. Well, that's something I've learned along the way because like many of us in vet med, we're that type A personality. You know, again, I worked at the university level where everything was done to a T, you know, and um, all the protocols were done all, you know, everything was perfect. You had to be, or at least, you know, try. And we were, we're often put down by others and our set to ourselves when we don't do things perfectly in, in this, these roles, right? You know, the, the veterinarians in particular, you see it a lot. And just to mention like the, the Merck Animal Health um, Veterinary Wellbeing Study, that was one of the things they found was that the people that rate high on burnout also rate high on neuroticism, you know, so that perfectionism. And if you can tone that down a little bit. If you can learn to manage that and realize that success, overall success is more important than any one particular thing that, that you need to perfect, you know, in life in general, I, and I sort of, I think there's even a book on it. I haven't read it, but I, I heard there is one. I don't think you can strive for a hundred percent happiness or a hundred percent success in your profession. 80% is probably much more doable, <laughs> you know, to, whether it's a relationship, a job, and you you have to realize the big picture. Take a step back, take a deep breath, and say, "Okay, is you know I can't do the gold standard for this patient. You know the owner can't afford it or doesn't want to. But what can I do to improve the quality of this patient's life for whatever remainder he has? You know. So again, that's success. That's success to the owner. You know, that's that's still success to you as a an individual. You know, even to to trainers. If you're if you want to be a horse trainer, you know, and your horse doesn't get it perfect every single time. It's okay. If he still goes out and wins a championship, although he missed a lead, that's still success. Right. Or if he doesn't miss a championship, you know, or doesn't miss a lead and doesn't get a championship, right? I think in last week's episode, the first of the year, I really focused on, are we trying to fix ourselves or are we trying to grow? And that's similar, right? We are almost afraid of failure. And we certainly don't want to share our failures because we have this, you know, social media highlight reel out here where we're supposed to be perfect. So I really love that we're striving for success and it is 
really up to us and the people that we consider to be our champions and our heroes to define success. It is not the world's definition of success, and it is certainly not some unattainable level of perfection. So strive for success and not perfection. And and that really, really resonates. And I hope that our listeners hear that at whatever stage each of us are in right now. And, you know, whether it is the student, the student to professional transition, early career, you know, you and I, similarly enough, you know, are 20 years into our our careers. And so hindsight is 2020. (laughs) Yes. And Jody, you hit the nail on the head when you said a lot of people don't want to talk about their failures. And I think that's just as important. There have been things I've failed at. And I know, you know, if you probably follow my social media or you, you have an idea who I am, you know, in, in the vet tech world, like, oh, Amanda's done this and that. And, and I have, but I'm also willing to share, like there were the job I had before Merck Animal Health, it was the most toxic place I've ever been. And, and I failed at that. Or maybe I didn't fail, but that, that was not the right fit. And I remember being so devastated and just like a, a you know, a punch to the gut, like this didn't work out, but that failure gave me some resilience. I had grit and I went out and now I have a job that I haven't had a single bad day since I started, you know, so those failures actually can lead to opportunities. So don't look at any failed situation or even relationship, you know, or or work relationship, look at it as, okay, I learned, I don't want to do this or I learned this, you know, isn't who I am, or this is not where my core values are. You're going to learn that along the way. And and those failures are only failures if you let them be failures. So look, take those and, and turn it around. It's like, okay, here's an opportunity. I can go off and do and try this, or I can do that. So I, I look at it as more as, okay, that, that turned into an opportunity. Yes. Oh, good. I love that clarification. It is not failure unless you let it be a failure, right? It it is truly an opportunity to learn and grow. Now, Amanda, you mentioned your role now. You'll be coming up on two years, I think, but we have to tell a little bit of that story because one of the industry's favorite people hired you. So, but the funny part to me is that I think you forgot that you applied. Was there something along? Okay, so tell us the story of why now you are a territory manager for Merck Animal Health. Well, I I had done quite a few things, you know, obviously in my career, and then I dabbled into companion animal and had had worked in in that realm in a couple of different roles, from bomb dogs to anesthesia and emergency and critical care. But I really missed the the, the equine industry, and so I knew I wanted to elevate my knowledge and, and, and expand it and, and grow more. And so I started, you know, I, I looked up jobs in the industry and I wasn't exactly sure sometimes what, what the whole job description entailed, but I was like, I just, I'm, I'm going to try. Cause if I don't try, I can't even attempt to succeed. <laughs> so I had applied for the territory manager position with Merck Animal Health for the Mid-Atlantic region. And, and the corporate process takes some time, like it can take some months. And I had applied for some other jobs. And I remember I, I was sitting on my couch in, in my home in Virginia, and there was some some personal things going on that were beyond out of my control that were not good um, with my farm. And uh, I got this text message and, and you know how the iPhone says might be someone that said might be Ron McDaniel. And I looked down and I thought, how did he get my number? <laughs> <laughs> 
And so then he immediately called me and uh, sure enough, you know, he, he wanted to get me an interview, you know, and, and I think I even asked, you know, Booth Farwell, who I, who was the territory manager prior to me and is now our marketing manager. I was like, who would my boss be? <laughs> so it was really meant to be, I mean, he has no, I mean, he does have an idea now, obviously that, that that text message changed the course of my life at that point. You know, luckily, you know, I passed the interviews and they offered me the position and I was so happy. And um, again, this, the team, I can't speak enough positive things about the Merck Animal Health equine team and Merck Animal Health in general. It's beyond my expectations of what I I wanted in in my next role. So, um, but yeah, thanks to to Ron McDaniel. Absolutely. And I had to give that story because if you want to talk about one of the true leaders in the industry and really connectors, I am in awe of just what you speak of, right? The culture of your team, but also the leadership in the industry. You mentioned early on when we first started the veterinary well-being study, but Merck overall, tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives that you are part of really leading our industry to say, yes, we're going to focus on academic, technical, clinical knowledge and continuing education, but we need to get this human connection right. We need to support the industry in other ways. Can you tell us a little bit about what Merck is doing? Absolutely. So I think one of the the biggest things that, that Merck does in general as a, as a corporation is it believes in its people and it, it empowers its people. So everything that, that we have as far as our, you know, um, uh, strategic, you know, priorities and all that, it, it aligns with how I've, I am as a person. So I, they do put people first. They uh, also have high ethics. They, and that's something that's always been important to me that I found difficult in, in certain positions if, if the ethics of my coworkers wasn't to my standard, you know, and Merck does. They they are very careful, and and I think they're they're very conservative compared to some other corporations. And and you know, I did have the hesitation. I'm going to work for big pharma. You know, am I just going to you know get in with with that? Is that because it has a bad connotation sometimes? And what I quickly found was Merck isn't that type of company. And not only does it treat its people well, but it puts the well being of a, the horse at the forefront. And I did not know that Merck had done veterinary well-being studies. And that was actually one of my questions to Ron in the interview was, is Merck concerned about the sustainability in veterinary medicine? So it aligned with my values before I even knew that. And so Merck has completed the the third veterinary well-being study last fall. And this one included veterinary technicians and support staff. And I think a lot of people focus on the negative results of that study, but um, one of the highlights is that there are, are people that are not going to leave the industry in the next five years. You know, those people that can manage the compassion fatigue and the burnout and and realize, you know, strive for success maybe and not perfection, those people want to stay in the industry. So that was a, a positive aspect of, of that that study that came out. And the, the other thing that is is sometimes very surprising is that when they divided the happiness, you know, the well-being of companion animal versus equine. The and then they actually had the livestock as well. Companion animal veterinarians and support staff are less happy than equine. And the livestock divisions are just a, 
little bit happier than the equine. <laughs> so I, I gave a talk recently with a VMG group at Cornell, and and I highlighted that because they do in vet med a lot of these these both the technicians and the doctors to be they're told don't go into equine. You know, there's no work life balance. You're not going to make as much money. Well, I can tell you right off the bat, making money does not make you happy. I mean, you need money to survive. But I was making really good money in Qatar, and I still suffered burnout and compassion fatigue. And number two, just because you decide that companion animals where people tell you to go, you know, or should go, doesn't guarantee your happiness. I mean, it's statistics, you know, in, in that well-being study is that the equine people on, you know, the average are quite a few percent, you know, happier than, than their companion animal coworkers, you know, and it kind of also rolls into, you know, don't let other people discourage you. You know, one of the things, and I, I mentioned this earlier on, when I was a freshman and I was at college and I met with my freshman advisor and he said, you know, what do you want to be? You know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be an equine vet. And here I was, you know, my parents hadn't finished high school. I'm the first to go to college full time. And my advisor tells me, you might as well pick another profession because you'll probably never get in. And that stuck with me for a decade. So I have to say, don't let someone discourage you and tell you you can't be an equine med. That's that may be my only regret is that I never became an equine vet. And I, I have accounts now, you know, friends I've made in this role and they're veterinarians and they're like, gosh, you would have been a really good equine vet. <laughs> but but you know, I was told I probably couldn't do that. I basically told no. And that stuck with me as a very impressionable 18 year old, 19 year old. Um, and uh, don't let people discourage you. You find your own path. Yes. Oh, and that's still, it ca It causes so much anger. You know, quick, I get quick anger when I hear those things. We are still, Amanda, hearing from students who are dealing with academic advisors at the undergraduate level, discouraging them from pursuing careers in equine, equine vet med, in and around the equine industry. And I continue to tell all of our listeners when this comes up, if you have an advisor, someone that is discouraging you from pursuing equine, please let me know. It will be an anonymous, but we now have built a community of leaders who are not afraid to call that school and have a conversation and let them know that this is, how, how do we fix a crisis and a shortage when we have academic advisors who are actually not living it day to day because they're in the university and academia system who are discouraging our young people? That's why I've done this podcast. That's why I do what I do this past year, right? It's not okay with us. So you'll I get me on so that soapbox, that. right? You, you'll get me on a soapbox with that. But um, again, I repeat Amanda's third piece of advice today. Do not let others discourage you. This is nobody's journey but yours. And each of us is going to face discouragement along the way. And that needs to remind us who our people are. Who is your tribe? Who are your champions? Who are your uh, heroes? And who are the people that you want to align with? Because if people are discouraging you from a true passion, they're not your people, period. Absolutely. They, and to your point, you know, the, the, the academic advisors who are the naysays of equine med, they're not living it. They're not even working in companion animal. <laughs> you know, they, they have their profession. They have what they're good at. They're doing that, but that doesn't mean they can't be wrong. And I have to say that they're they're dead wrong about some students, you know, and discouraging them from equine med. And and I'm 
I'm a living testament of that. That shouldn't, I wish that hadn't happened. Now, granted, I've had all these wonderful experiences not being an equine vet, but I, that path, that door was closed for me and it wasn't because I shut it. Right. I am so glad that you share that, but without spending the next three hours talking about some of these important things, because you and I could, uh, that really, I think, kind of wraps up your your piece of advice, right? So those three pieces of advice for our listeners, don't lose sight of your empathy for people and the horses, number one. Number two, strive for success, not perfection. And there you gave us number three, don't let others discourage you. And those are pieces of advice that are are truly lived by you and shared in your story, Amanda. And, And I think it's just such an incredible story. And I'll wrap back to the beginning for a moment, because I also know that you mentioned, you know, successful technician utilization and why credentialing is important to move the industry forward. But we haven't really talked about what your definition of successful technician utilization is. And so I want you to explain that for those folks out there that have an interest in veterinary technician as a career, or they're in that space, they're an LVT, RVT, maybe they are not yet, but they're considering it. What does successful technician utilization look like? Well, I, I think the industry is, they're talking about it now. So I, I think the next generation of, of technicians are, are going to hopefully have it a little better than, than what I had going into the profession, because we have a number of, of veterinary graduates, doctors who realize, hey, I can't do everything. I can't micromanage everything. I can't have my hands in everything. And here is this veterinary professional that I can trust. Here's someone that's gone to school that can do the clinical you know, and the business aspect and they're being utilized more. I I know of a practice that does telemedicine and their technicians screen their emergency calls. In some states, a veterinary technician can go out and examine a patient and and call the doctor and be like, hey, I need you to to come here, you know, quick, you know, so you, in in the hospital was easy because you have that, that overview of the doctors there, you're under one roof and in small animal, that's typically how every day is, but we, we have to forge this new path in equine med because we know the doctors know now they can't get to every patient. They can't do every bandage change. They can't give every IV med. If you have a, a trained and trustworthy technician, and they're licensed with a board of veterinary medicine, so they've passed the the national veterinary technician exam, then there's no reason that you can't use them. So there are only three things that a licensed technician cannot do, and that's diagnose, perform surgery, and prescribe medications or drugs or treatments. So those things the doctor should be doing, which would free up their time doing everything else. You know, if a technician can run anesthesia, you can trust them to vaccinate a horse and do a TPR. And those of you that are good at anesthesia are great at anesthesia. I mean, you are gifted. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no other time where you have to trust your person more is is when you take an animal as close to death as they're going to be and bring them back right <laughs> so trust your technicians to do all those other things utilize them because they're going to stay even if they're not making top dollar you know they're going to stay longer and they're going to enjoy their job if they're engaged if they're just holding horses which is exactly what the horse owner can do they're not going to stay engaged and Employees who are not engaged don't stay. 
right? And so all the technicians I know who are utilized, especially those in anesthesia, obviously, like they're the most utilized I, I see, but they love their jobs. You know, they can't think of doing anything else and they're happy. Now, I think with credentialing, and making sure people are licensed with the board of vet med, we can start to elevate all the other issues that are that are also in that profession. You know, um, obviously, you know, pay and work life balance, and and that's one little tidbit to me is to the doc or to the doctors rather is you know your technicians are people too. <laughs> you can't just say, oh, now the technician can do everything and stay late and do this, and I'm going to go home. Like they're people too with mortgages and families. <laughs> so we have to find that balance. But if we don't take that leap forward, we're never going to know. And veterinary medicine has parallel human medicine, but we're behind by a couple of decades. And the same thing happened right around World War One when we didn't have enough doctors to treat people, especially during the Spanish flu. And they started nursing schools. And there was that fear that, oh, no, these people are going to take our jobs away. They're going to do too much. They're not trained. But that's why nursing schools came about. Now, look, I mean, most of the time look. you're seeing your nurse. So veterinary medicine can get better. We just have to give a little bit on the reins, I think, as, as the profession, as doctors in particular. So, and continue talking, right. Continue yeah. collaborating. Yes, work for, it out, yeah. yes, exactly. Now, Amanda, as we wrap up here, I decided in 2024, I was going to add two questions. And so you have used the term work-life balance a couple times. And one of my questions, because we've heard that so much, First, I'll re-explain to my listeners that you won't hear me use the term work-life balance. I want it to change to life balance, right? Because I feel like when we say work and life balance, work-life balance, that we're it's conflict, it's combat. And it's not that, right? Our work is a role within our life, just like being a wife or a mom or a dog mom or an aunt, whatever that is. So for me, it's life balance. We talk a lot about life balance in today's world. One of my questions that I'm going to ask every guest is, what's one piece of advice, Amanda, related to life balance that you would give our listeners in today's what we might call hustle culture? Our world is spinning faster than ever before, and we are seeking life balance, what's a piece of advice you would give? Jody, I love your definition of life balance because it is about our lives. It's not one or the other, right? Yes. One of the things that I would say, because I experienced some, some loss during my career, you know, family members, and take a deep breath and look at the issue, whatever that issue is, whether it's, you know, a, an extra patient coming in, or do I take this extra day or whatever that issue is in your life and think, is this going to affect me tomorrow, a month from now, or a year from now? And I can tell you most of the time, you're not going to remember those extra hours you spent, you know, because you stayed late and you, you felt obligated and maybe the technicians could have done it or your 24 hour staff, if you have that, you know, you're going to remember missing out on your family and friends and the experiences in life that matter. I mean, you have to work, we all have to work, but you have to enjoy life and you have to, to realize that work is, is, is work. I mean, no one's going to hold you accountable as time goes on to, to what you did that particular day. Again, so looking at the big picture, looking at success versus that perfection of, of maybe that day or, or that task. And I hope, hope that answers your question. Uh, absolutely. And it goes back to one of your pieces of advice, right? Strive for success, not perfection. And you're absolutely right. So asking yourselves honestly and taking the time to really consider when you ask yourself questions like, will this matter tomorrow? Yeah, just pause next week, and take a deep pause. breath. Yes. 
that there's the answer to that. I love it. All right. Number two, this is the other one that I want to ask every guest. What is one book or podcast, Amanda, that you would recommend to our listeners and why? Well, I, I love this because it goes back to your comment earlier in the podcast about communication. And one of the podcasts that I listen to nearly every day or every new episode, it's called Think Fast, Talk Smart. The um, podcaster is Matt Abrahams. It's from the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and it gives you tools and techniques for communicating more effectively. And I think, you know, in addition to our clinical knowledge in vet med or in the horse industry, we definitely have to learn to communicate better. You have to learn to communicate better for better follow through with treatments for better, you know, in-house, you know, um, for documentation, all the things. If we could just communicate better, then we're going to improve the lives of not only our patients, but make the owners happier too. I have. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. That is one that I have not heard of before. So I, I was, I, I had my pen ready when you were going to answer. Yeah. I saw so that. I, oh, I'm <laughs> going to write this down. Think fast, talk smart. And it's not too okay, long. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, I know, again, you and I mentioned before we hit record today, we could talk all day, Amanda. And I so appreciate you and being connected with you and what you're doing for the industry. One of the things that we didn't talk a lot about, but I will say it as we wrap up here, I also believed that the technician background makes you an incredible territory manager with Merck Animal Health. There's just no doubt in my mind that the reps that are out there that have come through a technician background are so relatable and relevant with customers. And so the experiences that you bring, the ability to come in and be a part of that team and the part of the culture and to step in and not just be a salesperson, because I know that's one of the ways that you and I really connect without even having ever discussed this before is that you consider yourself to be a resource, a business partner, what we might call a trusted advisor in your role. You are not a salesperson. Like we don't describe ourselves as sales reps necessarily. It is most important to bring all of those collective experiences as you have done to be a true resource and advisor to your customers and, and clients. So Amanda, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And, and that's why I love this, this job so much is because I feel like I can take all that experience I've had that we just discussed and then bring that with me when I'm talking to an account or talking to a doctor or the staff members and, and help them out somehow, you know, it might not be that they need a product from me that they need, you know, me to help connect them with maybe even someone like you, you know, as that, that resource. So I, I love doing that. And I'll just say, if, if anyone's in my territory, which is Pennsylvania, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, and the North half of West Virginia, <laughs> reach out to me. I am happy to help and, and talk to you and discuss, you know, career experiences because it. I, I'm very passionate about engaging with other people, but also, you know, encouraging them in whatever role they want to follow. And, and back, that goes back to some of your yeah, points. Absolutely. Um, and, and I will share also, Amanda, your, your LinkedIn in our show notes, but that's really, again, where you and I connected and anyone can find you there. 
on LinkedIn. So thank you for all of your time, your wisdom, your advice. And I I can't wait to uh, to hear back from our listeners on this one because there's, there's a lot that we covered today and a lot of inspiration and motivation. So Amanda, thank you. We appreciate you being and sharing as a thriving equine professional. And to our listeners, again, happy new year as we kind of move through this first month of the year. And I will say, see you back here same time next week, Thrivers. Hey, Thriver. I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.